According to the American Society of Clinical Oncology, the United States is in the midst of the longest sustained period of flat funding for cancer research. How is this going to impact the pace at which we are finding cures and saving lives? Welcome to a special public policy segment on ReachMD XM 157. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom. Joining us to discuss the impact of cutbacks in federal funding for cancer research is Dr. Jordan Berlin, Associate Professor and Clinical Director of Gastrointestinal Oncology at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. Dr. Berlin, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. So can you quantify for us the cutbacks in dollars allocated for cancer research funding? There hasn't really been a cutback so much as inflation has occurred, and they've been giving flat funding. So I've heard numbers of an absolute decrease of 10% in funding, but I think the best quantification is that the payout lines for research grants have gone way, way down to the point where less than 1 in 10 grants are going to get funded, and very few, if ever, get funded on the first try anymore. So tell us psychologically what that means when you're in the single digits there, less than 1 out of 10. What does that mean for you as somebody who's trying to get research funded to help patients? Well, I think most of the medical professionals professionals would be familiar with the Skinner box in which dogs were electrocuted until they learned helplessness. I would say that that's what this is doing. <laughs> Honestly, it's very, very frustrating for especially new investigators to come in apply for research grants and continually get turned down and actually apply with the expectation that they'll get turned down at least once or twice and almost never have a chance of getting a research-funded grant in just one try. And I've heard from other sort of seasoned grant writers and researchers that they've actually put in lots more grant requests because the odds are so low that they figure if they put in 10, maybe they'll get one funded instead of putting in the top two that they really want. Have you seen that happen as well? Yes, I think that's happening all over. I think it's very common for people to put in first more applications for grants and second complementary applications to multiple different grant RFAs or systems even you know, outside of the NCI, other systems in which such as private enterprises. And do you sit on any grant review committees? No, I'm an ad hoc reviewer on one grant review committee right now and haven't had to do it in a while. I don't think that one's getting much funding right now. And if you were a reviewer, would this add to the complexity and the time that it takes to do your job? Yes, it also puts a lot more burden on the grant reviewers because now you're getting a lot more grants and you're getting a lot more reapplications. So every grant can be resubmitted twice more or a total of three submissions. And if none of the grants are really going through on the first try, you know that they're all coming back because it's a lot easier to resubmit than to write a brand new one. But each one has to be re-reviewed in full so that the number of grants that keep coming through is going to go up. The number of grants that need to be reviewed are going to keep going up. And frankly, grant review is, although to some extent compensated, it's basically a volunteer activity. So it's harder to get funding into the institution. Are there roadblocks within the institution because of this lack of funding that are harming our ability to do more research? Well, I think within the institution, the big roadblocks from this lack of funding is more of a collaboration issue. There, I saw something in, in an article stating that researchers would be more hesitant to collaborate with others or give them the information that they're using to apply for a grant that may actually promote research because they need that information to apply for the grant and they're afraid if they give it out, it will interfere more with their ability to get the grant. The same, the other people may use their data to get a grant that otherwise they would be able to get. 
So I think the interference is more with communication. I mean, I'm lucky. I work at Vanderbilt, which is a very collaborative organization, but are there decreased collaborations with other institutions because of this? I couldn't tell you, but it was reading that in an article, I thought it was a very intriguing concept I had not considered before. So you're saying that people have to be a little more protective of their own intellectual property and ideas because it's so much more difficult to get federal funding for their research. Yes, and then actually the word intellectual property always brings up one of the roadblocks anywhere in that more and more people are looking towards their intellectual property as a potential source of revenue. So there's a lot more protection of the intellectual property from an institutional standpoint in terms of legal protections that could hamper protocols or or research going forward while people are negotiating where intellectual property lies when collaborating with others. So we've now identified three roadblocks that are pushing things away from patients, lack of funding or more expensive research. Second thing was this intellectual property issue and protecting it, making sure that it comes to fruition, and a lack of collaboration. So how are the patients suffering from this, and where have you personally found this frustrating? Well, I think patients are suffering from a variety of things. I mean, in addition to the fact that they're suffering from cancer and they're in a rush to get things done, and the system is not. The system is one with, when you think about it, if you have a great idea for a research grant, it takes a few months to write a grant. You submit it, it takes several months to get the results back. Now you have to submit it twice more. So that research grant is being delayed. Now that may or may not generate an idea, but generally that's a preclinical idea. And after you get the preclinical data, then you have to go for the clinical trial. And that's another grant or another application to a company or something to move it to the next level. Each step of the way is being slowed down. So the way patients are are being hampered or being affected is, is that great ideas are being slowed down. In addition, the fact is that the grant system, the way it's written, is when there's limited funding, tends to go towards the less innovative ideas. Things with a greater chance of success, even if it may be minimal success, will tend to have a better chance of getting grant approval than something with a lower chance of success, but possibly a higher payout if it is successful. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to this special public policy segment on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and joining me to discuss the impact of cutbacks in federal funding for cancer research is Dr. Jordan Berlin, Associate Professor and Clinical Director of GI Oncology at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. So let's follow up a little bit on this innovative idea. So you're saying that some drug combination that might increase life for three months will get funding because it's pretty clear it will do that, and so that research gets funded. But some new drug combination that we don't know anything about that might extend life for five years but is innovative isn't going to get money? How frustrating is that for you? Well, it's extremely frustrating. There are a lot more roadblocks, unfortunately, than one would like for the truly innovative ideas. But the whole idea here is that people will have high-risk ideas, meaning things that may turn out to have great payout, but really there's very little known about. And people will have ideas that build on data that's already existing. And generally, those ideas, you have a fairly good idea where the payout's going to be, so to speak, what the benefit's going to be. Although it may be lower overall, you already know and you have a much better idea of what the chances are of success, those will get preferentially scored better because they've got a lot more background data. Let's talk about disparities in fundings among different cancers. Is there any formula for how we decide how the money gets distributed? Is it by how many people have a cancer, how serious that cancer is? Is there any rhyme or reason to it? 
There is not a full rhyme or reason. To some extent, when it comes to funding, there is some impact by what is being pushed by the NCI at the time. There may be a push, for example, a few years ago, there was a, a push for uh, by the Pancreas Cancer Action Network to talk to Congress and to really get people to think about funding pancreas cancer. And there was some slight preferential funding for pancreas cancer, which receives basically non-preferential funding. It, it, pancreas cancer is one of the most underfunded, especially when you look at per patient death of all the cancers. And considering it's the fourth leading cause of cancer death, the fact that we spend 60 to $70 million a year on pancreas cancer research funding is pretty pitiful. But there was that little push, and that's come for breast cancer and prostate cancer. And frankly, to some extent, some of that preferential funding gets gets pushed by the advocacy groups. So the better your advocacy group, the better chances you have. There are a lot of diseases which don't have efficacy groups. So if you were in charge of allocating the funding, how would you do it? Would you do it on the seriousness of the disease and how quickly it kills? Ideally, I would, but I would I would really look at, you know, what's the most innovative idea? Because the truth is that for any cancer, there's a chance that your cancer research could benefit somebody uh, somebody else's cancer. Because something works in breast cancer doesn't mean it's only going to work in breast cancer, and the same thing can be said for lung or prostate for the most part. I mean, there's some things like hormonal therapy for prostate cancer. They're clearly going to work better for prostate cancer. But the research can lead to developments elsewhere. We've benefited from research in HIV treatments as well as the research in cancer. But the fact is that I think it should be allocated a little bit more closely to align with the number of patients who suffer with the disease and, more importantly, the number of patients who die from the disease. Pancreas cancer with a 5% survival rate, again, I'm biased because I do pancreas cancer research, really needs more funding. But I would say that when, when you're talking about pancreas cancer research needing more funding, it shouldn't be at the expense of breast cancer research, which nobody would argue is overfunded. It is the best funded per patient death of all the cancers, but it's certainly not overfunded. And so, you know, one of the other problems is that if you push for your cancer to be funded, then somebody else's has to pay the price. What's the relationship between public funding through NCI or NIH and private funding through the groups or through foundations? And how does that balance out in particular over at Vanderbilt? I don't actually uh, know Vanderbilt's balance of how much is private versus public funding. The majority of our funding comes from the NIH, and we've actually done fairly well at maintaining our funding despite the very tough environment right now and actually growing our funding up until recently. But the private funding and the public funding are not aligned as far as I can see. They certainly don't communicate with each other. And again, there is a, a place where the funding comes based on the interest even more so than the public funding what pancreas cancer group or breast cancer group would fund a colon cancer trial. So if you have more voices out there helping to raise funding for your disease, you're going to have more private funding for your disease. And most people who choose to develop a private foundation choose to develop a private foundation with somebody in their minds, somebody who they loved and cared for and who had to battle that cancer. And therefore, the foundation is focused towards whatever that person had. Have you seen at Vanderbilt or in your area of cancer research, researchers that are focused on one disease that actually apply to a different disease nonprofit organization because they think they'll be able to get some money to further their research, even though that's not the primary focus of their research? Yes, I have. But having said that, I'll caveat it that, that a lot of our researchers 
focus on a disease because that's what they started out doing, but they've chosen a pathway. So there are a variety of different pathways, mostly protein pathways like the EGF receptor pathway or the VEGF receptor pathway, and their focus is really in a pathway. And so it's not so crucial that they stick to a disease anymore when they're doing research in that way. So reapplying something that they thought of that may not have gotten funded in one disease to another disease where, frankly, it might just be more relevant is a great way to get funding. And again, these disease-oriented foundations are great places to go. They are wonderful people who do great things and actually have been growing their work as much as they possibly can. But it's hard to make up for the billions of dollars that the government can fund. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jordan Berlin, Associate Professor and Clinical Director of GI Oncology at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. We've been discussing the impact of cutbacks in federal funding for cancer research. You've been listening to a special public policy segment on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and podcast, visit www.reachmd.com. For comments or questions, call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM157. And thank you for listening.